Welcome to What's Left to Do. I'm your host, Janelle. Season two rolls on with another heavy. (laughs) This week, we'll hear from independent journalist Ben Norton. Ben's political and ideological evolution is pretty similar to several of the other guests I've had on in that he traces his journey of radicalization back to punk music in his youth. From there, he discovered the writing of Noam Chomsky and Howard Zinn and craved being involved in the activist scenes going on in big cities. But he had to settle for what was on offer in little old Kentucky. I have not done this in so long. Thank you so much, COVID, and the U.S. <laughs> response to it. But today I am, I get to sit down virtually with uh, Ben Norton, who you all have read all over the place, uh, probably most recently with, formerly with The Gray Zone. Um, he, 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 if there's something that you need to know the truth about as it relates to U.S. imperialism. He is definitely one of the people that you're reading. You've, you know, seen him pop off on Twitter, etc. Um, I'm so happy to that we were able to get together today. How are you doing, Ben? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. All right, so we're going to get into it because you are pressed for time. Let's start at the beginning. And I mean, you know, you're not old or anything, so it just shouldn't be difficult to do. <laughs> but um, let's let's start at the beginning. Where did you Where did you grow up, Ben? Well, I moved a lot, but my family's from Ohio. Okay, so Ohio. if I, I usually people ask, I say I'm basically from Ohio and Kentucky, that area. So like kind of Midwest, kind of South a little bit. And my family's from Cleveland. So oh, okay. that's usually people ask where I'm from Cleveland. I spent okay. a lot of time there growing up. Okay. And what was the source of you all moving around so much? Just my parents work, but usually in the U.S. So I, I never, when I was a kid, I never lived abroad, but I was in the U.S. Okay. What was it like growing up basically between Ohio and Kentucky? I mean, kind of boring, but, you know, you you get to see, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like I grew up in the suburbs of the, in like the Midwestern suburbs and and also the Southern suburbs of the U.S. Mm -hmm. So I also spent some time in Alabama and Texas and yeah, in terms of the South, Texas and Alabama and Kentucky and Ohio. You, you grew up kind of a, a, a child troubadour, if you will, uh, around the Midwest and the South. Did you like, what was it, was it kind of that kind of ideal, idealistic kind of Americana, like kind of, you know, gen- I mean, not to sound like an asshole, but like the generic kind of like apple pie, just kind of, you know, all American upbringing or. No, I mean, that doesn't exist. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the marketing in Hollywood. No, I mean, it was fine. Like, I'm not going to lie that, and say that like I had like a really difficult upbringing or something. Sure. But you know, like no, that's not how the U.S. is. I mean, I got to. I always went to public school, which is good. I think it's very important that people go to public school and not like these little sheltered private schools where they only are with like you know elite kids. Like I always went to public school, 
and it was a good ex- like learning experience going to different schools. But you know, like it it was a typical you know uh, suburban ch- child upbringing, but like mostly a ap- pretty much apolitical. Like my family's not really that political, mm-hmm. and I didn't really start getting involved in, in politics until high school. I see. So when you so when you say you had an apolitical childhood, it's like you weren't you weren't maybe sitting around the dinner table with your parents or with your family or community like talking about the news of the day. It was just definitely not. Absolutely not. Okay. But honestly, like I don't know how common that is in the US. I'm not sure that's super common because my parents it It depends on who you are. Definitely, but my parents are the ones who who, you know, always repeat the saying that there's certain things you don't talk about the dinner table, which is politics and religion. And I don't remember what the other one is, mm-hmm. but like they're very, they very much believe in that. And I think that's, that's a common trope I've heard a lot in us culture that like at the dinner table, you don't talk about politics or religion. Sure. No, well, that's usually, you don't talk about that with like people you're me, like get, you know, when you're, if you're entertaining guests, cause you don't want to piss anybody out, but at home, like, you know, what, you know, who are you going to run afoul of? You're, your child, your spouse? I mean, I guess maybe, but I see what you're saying though. Um, okay. Do you, how would your, how would your family or community uh, have described you as a kid? Like, would we still recognize you as a kid if someone were to describe you? I mean, I, I was honestly, I was kind of a troublemaker and ah. I, I was, I mean, I was always very good at school. And, mm-hmm. and again, I don't say this in any way to like brag or anything, but I always got A's, but I was also like very bored in school. So I, mm-hmm would get in trouble a lot and I got suspended several times and I, you know, I was just like a, a bored, crazy kid in the suburbs. It's, it's very stereotypical, but like, give me an example I, I of how you would get school. in trouble. Sorry. Give me an example of like what would get you in trouble. Just like stupid stuff that teenage boys do, like getting in fights with other teenage boys, like stupid stuff. Like that's mm-hmm. what uh, often teenage boys do. So uh, okay. I, I fit that stereotype when I was a teenager. Okay. But pre-teen years, were you still like a handful, like a troublemaker? Yeah. I mean, like not, not anything super horrible, but definitely, yeah. Like, again, it's, it's this kind of stereotype of like bored suburban kids. I mean, (laughs) that's, that's kind of what, when I was a teenager and preteen or whatever, that's kind of what I was. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I was also like, this is, I mean, I don't hide this. I talk about this sometimes, but usually people are not so interested in in like uh music and stuff but i'm a musician and i was i've always really been into like punk mm-hmm. and i and i was when i was a t- young teenager when i was like 13 i, I started getting into punk oh, and i've okay. always i still like punk and i love metal and i just started getting into that i mean it's again it's really cheesy but it's like you know i was like into skateboarding and punk and all that stuff why is that cheesy it's, it's, i mean it, it is what it is yeah, and like I'm not ashamed of it because I actually still play music. I still love metal and punk, mm-hmm. but you know that's that's what I was into as a kid. And and actually, I think what's interesting is that was formative for my political development. Of course, you're like the fifth white guy from the Midwest that I've talked to who say this. So please tell me. Yeah, you're no, I mean I fit that politics. stereotype. There's yeah. this like the white suburban kids in the in the Midwest who get into punk, mm-hmm. and like it was politically formative for me. And and a lot of those bands. Like there's there's a lot of punk bands with pretty good politics, very mm. lefty politics, but it's not very developed politics. Mm. It's like they know what they're against, but they don't really know what they're for. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's important for like if you're like in the, the little like, uh, you know, the suburbs of the U.S. that are apolitical and this kind of 
stultifying apolitical environment. Like it, it helps to do to get involved in like, even if it's somewhat superficial, like this kind of lefty punk scene where they at least know that like the government is awful and they like, and especially, I, you know, I remember, uh, you know, I'm in my thirties now. So I remember it was very formative, especially in the Bush era. Mm. And like, there was this, there was a really big moment. All the punk bands hated Bush. They all compared Bush to like Hitler and stuff, which, you know, I mean, Bush is awful. I mean, the Hitler stuff is whatever, but like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with the Iraq war and the so-called war on terror and the Patriot Act, like there was a very strong movement against all of that. And, and it was pretty popular in the punk scene. So like that, I think that for me in the, in the 2000s, that was very influential. But give me, tell me what, what was the hook? What drew you, like describe the before you discovering punk as a, as a preteen, this, you know, that moment of, you know, epiphany or just, I don't know whatever you want to call it. And then after, like, what was, what was that transformation? Like describe it. Some of this stuff is just like the cultural milieu of like being like it, you know, being a teenager at a certain time when actually what's interesting is that in like the late nineties and early two thousands, there was this moment where, especially where like post hardcore music was kind of mainstream a little bit. There was mm -hmm. like a brief moment where it kind of became mainstream and a lot of people my age were into post-hardcore and metalcore and punk and all this stuff and hardcore. So like that was for a lot of people because it was popular with your friends and your age group. And then the record industry is targeting people. I mean, a lot of this music is still kind of underground, but they still have, you know, age groups that they're targeting. And they're targeting like, you know, 13 to 16 year old white guys in the suburbs. And like, you know, uh, I was in that demographic, but it was interesting. I mean, punk is in metal are not popular now, but like it was pretty popular in like the 2000s. And right. You, right. you can actually, you can just look at like the billboard charts, like how many hardcore and metalcore bands there were that were like on the charts that never would be now. So I, I don't know, it's weird. Like there was this brief generational moment and I have so many friends who kind of went through this, who were all like into punk and it, and it actually introduced them to politics. I mean, I remember like even... A band like here's an example of like a band that was very mainstream that I, I wasn't even that into because I considered them too mainstream. Right. But mm. like Green Day, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, like Green Day had American Idiot. Yeah. Like they had this like top billboard song and album, American Idiot, which is like a concept album criticizing the U.S. government, the war on terror, the George Bush administration. Mm -hmm. And that was like that was very mainstream. It was on MTV. So there was like this weird kind of generation of Ben, you're like doing, people. you're being a journalist. Right? I'm not asking you to describe, I was there. We're the same age. I'm asking yeah. you to tell me what your experience was like with punk. Don't give me the journalist answer. I want the <laughs> yeah. Ben answer. We are going to fight through this computer. Okay. Well, I'm so used to doing journalistic interviews. Yeah, so. I know. Shake your brain, <laughs> man. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm not yelling at you. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it was, it's just fun. Like, uh, the music was fun. It was interesting. What about it was fun and what about it was interesting? I don't know. I mean, like, what about any music is fun or interesting? No, you that's just... not true. You do know. There was something that drew you. There was something that captivated you. What was it? Describe it. Think about it. I don't know. I guess it's just, like, the energy and, like, the rebellion. Again, like, being in, like, like a, a bored kid in the suburbs. There's, like, something very... Uh, that attracts you. It's very attractive about like this very rebellious 
subculture and music and all this stuff. So okay, so you were so the the rebellion the, or the way it captured your sense of maybe in, an internalized rebellion was like part of what drew you. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I also just like the music. I mean, and I think like you can look. There's certain generations like this. You can look also back at the '60s and the '70s, right? And like mm -hmm. the Woodstock generation. And there was this moment where in popular culture, especially rock, there were like very revolutionary artists. And you have like Jimi Hendrix playing the national anthem and, and like as a critique of the Vietnam War and burning sure. his guitar. And you have like the Beatles making anti-war music. So like there are these certain generations that people just like happen to, to grow up in. And, and, and I, I guess I was just like one of the people in that generation. And there's like, I, like you said, there's so many of us. Mm -hmm. Like these white guys in the suburbs who grow up with punk music and they start becoming political. And then like your politics develop more as you get older and start learning more about what's happening in the world. Mm -hmm. And what do you, how, you said that you were fairly apolitical before discovering punk, but describe how punk kind of uh, opened that door a little bit. And what was that, what was the after like? Because I'm going to ask you this 15 different times because you are trying to tiptoe around what I'm trying to get at, but I'll get it because I'm good at what I do. So please tell me what the, what that, what that door kind of oh, cracking man. open and the after was. It's like psychoanalysis here, but yeah, it's cool. That's right. uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think a lot of people start getting into like, you start I'm talking to you. Don't tell me about a lot of people. What was it like for you? <laughs> I'm, I, don't know, I'm I, actually, really I actually haven't thought about a lot of this stuff. I know. Also like in too in depth. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I was a preteen, like early teenager, like 12, 13, 14 is when I started getting into music. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it, I didn't really know anything about the politics, but I liked the music. Mm -hmm. And then as I got older and especially as I got into high school and then especially I remember like the beginning of the Obama administration. By that time, like I, I did, again, I didn't have developed politics, but I could tell that like Obama was just that he was marketing that he was a creation mm -hmm. of marketing but you know i was in high school when obama was was in and i and that was my that was my first election and i actually didn't vote mm -hmm. and like i i just i didn't have a very sophisticated understanding but i knew that like obama wasn't actually a, the change and hope that he promised and mm -hmm. then of course the financial crash hit mm -hmm. so i had been in, into this music but as like a preteen and then I got into high school and then there was Obama and then there was a financial crash. Mm -hmm. And by that time, like I was, especially by the financial crash, mm -hmm. like I was very, very um, aware of the political situation. I think, you know, it just everyone of the, that generation of like this. But what, you know, what made you aware of it? The, 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 like it, the situation? It was, the the first Obama campaign and then the crash. Mm -hmm. That was when I really like started following politics closely. Because, well, because I mean everyone was talking about it uh. because of the the crash and the and Obama. I mean I remember in high school like I had so many friends who campaigned for Obama who loved Obama, and like I said I wasn't like super super developed politically, but I was very kind of cynical in this kind of like anarchist punk way mm -hmm. where I was like, nah, he's, he's going to be this more of the same. Mm -hmm. And again, I didn't have a very sophisticated understanding, but I didn't, I definitely wasn't like, was, wasn't a huge Obama fan. Sure. I mean, I hated Bush, but more just because of like the, I knew how awful the Iraq war was, but not in a detailed way. Cause I was a young teenager, but like just knowing that the Iraq war was horrible and it was a crime and that Bush 
was, you know, authoritarian and the Patriot Act was authoritarian and the Bush administration was trying to build a police state. So I'm, I'm not, I definitely wasn't like sympathetic in any way to like right wing critiques of Obama, but mm-hmm. I, you could say I had like this kind of like lefty leaning, like libertarian anarchisty critique of US politics. Like they're all bad, they're all corrupt, mm-hmm. which is very common, especially for young people. But even in general in the US, like if you talk to a lot of people, and I remember talking to so many people, including like family members, and they're all just like, well, all the politicians are corrupt. I don't believe in any of them. And mm-hmm. So again, not very, not a very sophisticated, developed politics, but like that was definitely my attitude by the time I got to high school and the first Obama administration and then the financial crash. Yeah. Okay. In the, in, ah, what do I want to ask you? Okay. So, so the, the door, the door was started to open with punk and then it, it maybe flew open or, or, or opened more uh, with the the advent of the first Obama administration and then, you know, the the crash that 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 quickly followed or came with it. Um, Did you uh, how would you before that happened, how would you have described politically like the community you grew up you said your parents weren't apolitical but like did you have a sense of no they are pretty apolitical yeah like, yeah yeah but i'm saying your 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 parents were apolitical you under you now looking back they were apolitical but how would how did you understand like the politics or the 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 ideology or political understanding of your of your broader community and any institutions you all were a part of was that also apolitical was that kind of conservative yeah, kind of pretty much maybe? you know like pretty stereotypical just like suburban us like where people don't talk about politics and they Mm -hmm. think that it's like impolite to talk about politics with people Ah, i see like unless like you're like close friends or something like you don't talk about politics with people it's 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 seen as like alienating Mm -hmm. and but there is this, this there's this vague idea which i think is very common across the us that like that politics is just corrupt and that mm-hmm. no politicians represent us and that it's all like they're all you know they only represent elites but like this vague idea of elites but like people have different understandings of what that means but it's mm-hmm. not like a sophisticated class analysis of like them representing billionaires and capitalists it's just like a disinterest in politics which i think is pretty generalized across a lot of especially like suburban us mm-hmm. and like and especially like you know white suburban but also like you know i went to to middle school in southern maryland in like a school that was it was pretty mixed like a lot of a lot of the time you know my schools were definitely like disproportionately white but like i went to middle school and in the beginning of high school in like a pretty mixed uh like the uh, high school with like white kids black kids latinos and like pretty much everyone was apolitical, at least mm. in like the suburbs of Southern Maryland where I was like, so I went to La Plata High School ah, at first. I'm from Maryland. Uh-huh. Yeah. And like, like there was this, there was this awful band that I hated at the time and I still hate, but that actually came from my high school, Good Charlotte. I don't even remember oh, them. Oh, yes, I do. I didn't know and that from like, Maryland. I knew like they were, they were like two years older than me, but I remember like that. And like, they even had this song that represents that kind of attitude of like, um, something like rich, like criticizing rich people, uh-huh. but like not at a sophisticated, like from like the suburbs of Southern Maryland <laughs> in La Plata, Maryland. Like, uh-huh. so yeah, interesting. like that, like that people, we just didn't talk about politics. And I, I actually think that 
the Obama, the first Obama campaign I remember was when a lot of people in my generation started getting more into politics because yeah. they started having like faith a little bit that like maybe like this could be different. Mm -hmm. And that's when I remember my friends and people around like started to talk about more about more about politics. I gotcha. Interesting. Um, growing up, did you have a sense of class? Maybe not as such, but did you have a sense of your your family's class standing and or that of your community? Like as a, as a child growing up, how would you have described your quote unquote class? Yes and no. I mean, well, in a sense that like, uh, I mean, I'm not going to lie in any way. Like I definitely didn't struggle, but also like, I would say like, uh, I mean, I, I think a lot of people say this, but like, uh, like the middle, lower middle, but like in the sense that like I had friends that would like go to like, I always went to public school. And I think that's actually like when you're a kid, that's the main difference, right? Mm, like public school and private school. Sure. So I'm not going to pretend like I didn't, I didn't suffer. Like both my parents worked. My mom was a first grade teacher. So like I, um, you know, like I didn't in any, I didn't struggle. I'm not going to pretend like I came from like a poor background and like I'm super working class, but like I also always went to public school and I always knew that like who the rich kids were. Right. Mm. And like, because I didn't go to private school, mm -hmm. like, and I had friends that went to private school, like that I knew that like, that I think when you're well, at least when I was a kid, but I think a lot of people like when you're a kid and you're not super aware, like that's kind of the main division is like the, the kids who go to private school and have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And then by the time you get to like high school, the kids who have a car, mm -hmm. like I didn't have a car, like I would take the bus. But like, again, I, I definitely didn't struggle. Like, I'm not going to pretend lie. Although I did. I mean, I started working. Uh, I actually worked at Walmart when I was in high school. So mm -hmm. but so like, your uh, main again, your main dividing line not dividing line but your 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 schematic of class was like okay I know that there are I know that there are people who are rich because they are able to pay for their children to go to school I go to public school however like you know I I'm not I'm 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 editorializing a bit here I'm you know I'm not ever in fear of you know not being able to eat or coming home and the lights being off you know my 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 needs are met um, yeah, but I'm not you know is, I don't yeah. have a car uh, you know my parents don't just throw money around they're probably you know judicious with you know their income and so that we all have what we need but you know I do know that my parents don't make enough money to be able to pay for me to go to school you know out of pocket as private school kids do do I have that correct? Yeah, that's 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 very fair. And another thing which what's funny to think back on is I remember my parents always saying when I was a kid, which is another thing that's just so specific to the US is my parents would always be like, well, don't forget, like, you, you can like, like, you can start saving for college. Like, I remember being like a, a kid, mm -hmm. and my parents always talking about like, because they really wanted me to go to college because my dad was the first he's from like, a you know, so Norton is my last name is like from like an Irish Catholic background and my mm -hmm. both of my sides of the family are from like the like Irish Catholic uh, salt of the earth like outskirts of Cleveland Ohio mm -hmm. and my dad was one of seven children and was the first to go to college mm. and my mom went also went to college and was a teacher so like both of them were always like you're going to go to college but I remember specifically them always being like well but keep in mind college is like very expensive. And if you want to like, you know, go to a good school, you're going to have to save and all of this stuff. And mm -hmm. so like, I, I remember that being again, like when you're a young kid and you're not super aware of this stuff, I think that that's like 
one of the ways in which you're kind of made aware. Although by the time I got to high school, I was definitely very aware of like social class. Ah, okay. But before high school, no. Mm-hmm. You just you're just a kid living. You know, my needs are met. But you know, I I have a sense that you know I can't you know I can't throw a tantrum and get every single toy I want every time. Um, but you know, I'm just kind of a, a normal kid. Yeah, I mean, like again, it sounds so stereotypical, but it's true. Like I mowed lawns when I was like a preteen. I mowed yeah. my like my neighbor's lawns to make some money, and then Why like. Is that stereoty- that's just how it was but what is this yeah what is this you, you need to like get the internet out of your brain for a second i'm not trying i'm not here to skewer you god damn yeah, yeah. take a breath uh-huh go ahead i'm mean i don't shut you beat i do have to face. say i remember another thing that was very influential on me was system of a down which again is another yeah. one of these cheesy things yeah, yeah but i remember that they were like a very popular band and i remember like Serge Tonkian, I mean, they're all they're all of Armenian descent, and they were all like really into politics. Mm-hmm. And Serge Tonkian, I remember, like it, he would like he definitely would talk a lot about like the Armenian genocide, which is how the first time I ever ta- heard about the Armenian genocide. Mm-hmm. But then he also had other things, and I remember they had like the song, the prison song, which mm-hmm. is my first introduction ever to the idea of mass incarceration. Uh-huh. And I remember in that song, which I think is on Steelless album, on one of their first albums which is, again, also the name of it is called Steal This Album. They, they or it might be in Toxicity, but I think it's on Steal This Album. They have this part in the prison song where they, they he stops singing and he just has like this rant where he's talking about mass incarceration. Mm. And I distinctly remember being like a teenager and like listening to that album on a CD player. Man, <laughs> this, this, this is back, thinking back. <laughs> I remember you had like those CD players, but you could connect headphones to them, right? So you could walk around. Yeah. And I remember mowing my neighbor's lawn and listening to that album. And I remember when that song came on, I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know this. Where he's Mm -hmm. talking about mass incarceration and the prison Mm -hmm. industrial complex and all this. Sure. And that was like, so again, for me, like music was actually a very influential factor in politicizing me. Okay. So once you okay, so at the point of your of your nascent politicization—that's such a difficult word to say—in high school, how did you how did you begin to understand the world? Obama's coming in the office, you know, fucking the economy is just taking a shit. You're learning about mass incarceration. What? How would you have languaged your understanding of the world at that point? Do you think? Don't it, don't give me some nonsense. Just go back. To sixteen-year-old Ben, how would yeah, you have language like, the world? like a a kind of like a teenage anarchist view that it's all corrupt and they're mm-hmm. all bad and that we need to like have a new system, but without a, a with a very vague understanding of what that would be. I gotcha. And again, this is, there's so many things about. I mean, it, and sometimes it's kind of good that like it fits this model because it can help understand like how I became political and all this, but like. Um, another thing that's very stereotypical in my story that is so true for so many people of like my generation of like white guys in their 30s who grew up in the suburbs in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Another thing is when, like, when, I, when I got into high school and I was I had these, you know, ideas and influences, I discovered Noam Chomsky and Ooh. Howard Zinn. Oh, OK. Which, again, is so stereotypical. It's but not. I dis- it's just that's something that happens. What, what I was discovered the- Chomsky and I discovered Howard Zinn. And when I was in high school, when I was a sophomore, I remember reading a People's History of the United States, which blew my mind. Why? What it about blew it blew my mind. mind? What about it? Well, because 
you know, all, my only understanding of the history of the U.S. I had learned from school, which is this whitewashed, censored history that, you know, they'll, they'll address things like, you know, the Trail of Tears. And they, they might, I don't even think they had used the term genocide against Native Americans, but like they might have said mistreatment of Native Americans. And then they'll mm -hmm. talk about slavery and Jim Crow, but it's like not in a detailed way to understand just like, frankly, how evil U.S. history has been and, and how it's still, how evil the U.S. government still is. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading a people's history and just being like, I didn't learn any of this stuff mm. in school. Like, <laughs> was it, was it, did you, did you believe or were you thinking I didn't learn any of this or I didn't, I didn't learn the extent of any of this? Do you see what I'm saying? Very little of it. I mean, there's so much in, in, I mean, that book is also very long and there's so many great details about like the coup attempt that like capitalists considered against FDR. And there's like so much stuff in there that you would of course never learn about in school. But even like, like I said, like I remember, so I remember going to, so I went to middle school and part of high school in Southern Maryland, mm -hmm. which was very different from my experience in Texas and Alabama, mm -hmm. because in Texas, I remember I was in the suburbs, but it was also largely Latino. Mm -hmm. And then in Alabama, it was kind of mixed, but still very white. But I remember in Maryland, it was much more mixed. And I remember my history classes were much more fair talking about the history of racism mm. and Jim Crow and slavery. They, they actually taught it much better in Maryland. I also think because of the specific role of Maryland and the Mason-Dixon line and the Civil mm -hmm. War, like, like there was, like there was much better. Um, their history classes were much better in Maryland. That's also the age I was in. But I remember like learning about a lot of that in middle school in Maryland. But by the time I got to high school, like and learning about and reading people's history in the United States. And just like, especially, I mean, because if you like in, in public schools in the US, at least of like my generation or our generation or whatever, like I think if they do acknowledge like the horrible things that have happened in the US, they'll talk about, they'll talk about the genocide against native peoples. They'll talk maybe about internment camps for Japanese Americans. They'll talk about slavery. They'll talk about Jim Crow. They'll talk about maybe uh, the women's suffrage movement. And they'll talk about the, maybe they'll talk about like the civil rights movement in, in like a superficial way, but not in like a very deep way. Mm -hmm. But they, what they don't talk about, which I remember never learning about in school, which is really what politicized me is the Korean War. Ah. The Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember I never even in ever in school, I never heard about the Korean War until high school. Oh, it was really? never mentioned in any of my classes until high school. The oh, Vietnam War, yes. Okay. But I also remember that like in, at least in my experience going to public school in, in Texas and Alabama and Maryland and then also Kentucky. Well, by the time I got to Kentucky, it was later in high school. I went to high school partially in Southern Maryland and partially in the outskirts of Louisville, Kentucky. Mm. And I, but before that, there was very little, before high school, there was almost, there was very little history, mm. which I think is another reason that explains like why a lot of people in the U.S. often are kind of more apolitical mm -hmm. because 
and they have this kind of vague idea because actually I think the history teaching in the U.S. is intentionally very bad. Yeah, and we see course. it keeps getting worse and worse, especially like with Republicans trying to just like rewrite history textbooks completely. Sure. But very, there's very little history. I mean, I remember like a lot of science and a lot of math, but mm -hmm. not that much history. And it's mm -hmm. always social studies, mm -hmm. but social studies includes some history, but, but also includes like government, like yes, vaguely, like the, the Senate and the House. Yep. Yep. And it wasn't until high school when I actually started, like I remember I had a world history class and then I had US history and I read People's History of the United States. And like that was when I really learned history. And that's when I was really getting into politics because I was like, I never learned about this stuff. I never learned about the Korean War. I never learned in detail about the Vietnam War. Mm. I never learned about the Gulf War. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I had kind of vaguely known about the Iraq War, just vaguely knowing from like punk music and pop popular culture that it was bad. Mm -hmm. But like when you actually start learning, I mean, that... I think that that might it might be one of the main reasons I focus so much on imperialism because like that was like learning about the crimes of U.S. foreign policy and empire was when I really got into politics because because it made you I angry was like, because why yeah because I was just like I mean my my life was a lie like mm. this idea I had of this country is a complete lie hmm. like of this kind of like suburban apolitical upbringing and where it's like you know. Not not the idea that like I didn't grow up loving the government, but like I had this vague idea that like, you know, there's bad things about the government, but not that it's evil. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, no, it's it's evil. Like <laughs> it's genuinely evil. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. OK, um, so you at the end of high school, your your eyes have been opened. Um, you're you have you're coming into a deeper understanding of uh, alternate, not alternate histories, but history kind of. Uh, unwatered down. No, there's a better I, way of saying that. By, by the time I was a junior, I, I started calling myself a socialist. What did you I, think you I, meant by that at that time? Like like in a Chomskyan way. I, by the time I was, when I was a freshman, I discovered Noam Chomsky. And when I was a sophomore, I started reading Howard Zinn. Uh -huh. And I remember those two were like so influential on me. And I remember, I mean, for so many people of, of like our generation, Chomsky was like so influential and the thing about Chomsky, I, I still respect Chomsky in a lot of ways, and I still love Chomsky, although I have criticisms of him, definitely a lot of criticisms. But the thing about Chomsky, that, which is why I'll still always defend him, is that Chomsky, I think, was very important in, the, in U.S. political culture because Chomsky was very critical of the Soviet Union and other existing socialist governments, which is something that I'm actually critical of him now. Mm -hmm. critical of him about like i think like he was way too critical of the soviet union way too critical of cuba and way too critical of of vietnam and nicaragua and all these other countries but one of the reasons i think that he's so effective in 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 turning a lot of people who are otherwise liberals mm -hmm. and on the fence or even just like kind of like vague libertarian anarchisty types like i was mm -hmm. into socialists is because because he is a figure who was so critical of Marxism and critical of existing socialist movements that that kind of makes him oh kind of makes him like okay right mm. and it makes him like less seen as like a less dangerous figure for like white kids in the suburbs who grew up huh. like vaguely with an apolitical but anti-communist background. So he's like a he's like he's like a socialist starter. 
like a, a like, gateway figure. Absolutely. Yeah, gateway drug. Like Chomsky was definitely my gateway drug to socialism. <laughs> okay. All right. So you were calling yourself a socialist in high school, uh, ahead of the curve. Um, <laughs> tastemaker, well, if you will. Uh-huh. I, again, and I'll also, this gets into like where I was a troublemaker. So this is kind of embarrassing, but I'll tell a, a quick story really quickly. Mm-hmm. So I, I started getting really political and I was involved in student activism in high school. Mm-hmm. And I got into, and after Operation Cast Lead, Mm-hmm. In late 2000, December 2008 and January 2009, mm-hmm. when Israel was massacring Gaza, mm-hmm. With white that monsters. was my first introduction. I, I, I was in high school and had already been very much into politics and, and I was going to graduate soon. And I got really into Israel-Palestine and Palestine solidarity activism and all of this. And then I remember uh, senior superlatives mm. that because I was so involved in politics that I was ironically, very funnily, like I remember in the senior superlatives, like in the yearbook, which is like most popular and most whatever and funniest and class clown and all this, Mm -hmm. I was actually voted hilariously most likely to be president, which was hilarious because Mm. I had been, I got in a lot of trouble in high school, (laughs) but I was a rebellious kid. So, Mm -hmm. and I remember there was, there was always a, a man and a woman, like a boy and a girl who were the senior, su- senior superlatives. So I remember, I still feel bad about this, but I remember in the senior year of my yearbook, they had like the photo day. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I was voted most likely to be president. And the, the girl who was also voted was like, she was like president of the class. She was like a very, she was like a very, um, she never got in trouble. She's you know, the model like, student. Model student. I mean, yeah. I had good grades, but I was always, I would get in trouble. So mm-hmm. I, I remember I went to the photo shoot. Again, I still feel bad about this. I remember I told my brother the night before, I was like, Zach, my brother's name is Zach. Mm-hmm. Zach, we got to go, we got to get spray paint. And I'm going to spray paint a t-shirt and spray paint a circle A on it. Oh, dear. And then I had this, this uh, Russian, like old Soviet style um, Russian hat, like a fur hat with a hammer and sickle on it. Uh-huh. Oh God! <laughs> and if you go to my senior yearbook, I swear, to, I swear, this is not a joke. One hundred percent, this is the truth. If you go to my senior yearbook in the senior superlatives, where it says most likely to be president, you have this this girl Chelsea, who was the class president, and was she was most like voted most likely to be president, and then there was me, and I had the Russian fur hat with a hammer and sickle <laughs> on it and a, and a circle A anarchist shirt. So that, that explains, oh, that explains who I was ah, by okay. the time I was, by you the were end that of kid. high school. You were like, that kid. I was an obnoxious, <laughs> rebellious kid who was like doing stupid stuff like that. Oh, okay. All right. Good grief. You, you're but very political by that point. But I mean, I, you had to be to right, dress up like Boris Yeltsin for your <laughs> class president picture. Get out of here. Oh dear. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you were, you know, you were, you were, you know, you were, it was, you were just like a red square unto yourself. Um, when it, when you got to the end of high well, school. Well, another, one but, other quick brief story is that no, I no, remember. No, 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 I want all the stories. Give them to me and don't be brief. I need details. I remember in my, embarrassment. Mm-hmm. I took an AP world history class. Hmm. And I remember in my AP world history class, I would, would always like 
kind of just to be rebellious. Again, it wasn't even very ideological. Mm -hmm. I was definitely very lefty and very critical of capitalism at that point, but in mm -hmm. like a kind of anarchisty way. And I remember my teacher was kind of conservative, my teacher of AP World History. Mm -hmm. And I remember he would always call me a commie, mm -hmm. kind of jokingly, like it was like a tongue in cheek thing, but okay. he would also like, it, it was kind of true. Like he would mm -hmm. say, oh, what do you think, commie? Really? He would like, that's how he would call on you in class. Sometimes. Huh. But like, it, he was he was like one of those teachers who was like very fun yeah. and funny. Okay. But I mean, it was kind of like a criticism, but it was also a term of endearment. Sure, sure. He was, and I, he was I do remember that I had to do, I had to do a presentation in that class, which again, it says a lot about me. Mm -hmm. And just to like screw with my teacher, mm -hmm. I did a, a PowerPoint presentation claiming about how the U.S. faked the moon landing to try to pretend like it won the... It won the Spain space race against the Soviet Union, which I remember. I think he gave me a C on it or something. Mm -hmm. It actually wasn't. It wasn't an F, but <laughs> and like I just just to like I don't even know if I really believed it, but just to kind of screw with him and just to sure. be rebellious, I did this long presentation about how the Soviet Union won the space race, not the U.S. and the U.S. faked the moon landing. <laughs> Yeah, I think you you maybe earned that nickname in in Mr. Rogers' class. And I think that was my sophomore year, actually. So, oh, okay. all right, you were just really leaning into it. <laughs> it was a mixture of being political, but also just being an obnoxious kid. Sure, like I mean, you kind of one goes with the other at that age. <laughs> oh dear. Um, okay, so when it was time for you at the end of high school. Was the ex you said it was your familial expectation that you go to college? Did your like did your family did your community like did they have an a dream for you like after high school like Ben is going to be our blank? I mean it, the stereotypical thing that you know my parents still say to me is always like it's not too late to be a lawyer or a doctor. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's not too late. My mom still says that to me. I'm in my thirties at this point, and she still <laughs> says that to me. But yeah, I mean. Uh, the expectation was one of the, you know, a professional career, mm -hmm. like a lawyer or a doctor or something like that. I see. What what was yeah. your, when you looked out on your life at, you know, 17, 18, what did you, at that point, what did you want to be or do? Or did you I know? I didn't know. Um, I, I, I was really into movies and film. My brother and I, my brother is a film, professional filmmaker oh. and he lives in Atlanta and there's a really big film industry there. Yep. And he works in the film industry. Like, He's not like a super high up, you know, person, but he's a camera operator mm. and he's a, a union worker in the film industry, which is, you know, the union is very strong. He's very active in the union. Very nice. In Ayatsmi, in, um, it's called. Mm -hmm. And he is like, he works on productions. And, and when I was in high school, I thought we were, we both like made movies together. Like a lot of, you know, this is also like, we're of the generation where like, I remember I had like a crappy handheld camera when I was in high school. It was like my first camera. Mm -hmm. And because I didn't have a, I didn't have a smartphone until like toward the end of college. Mm -hmm. Like I definitely didn't have one in high school. In yeah. high school, I had like a, uh, I had a phone that could text a dumb phone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, like a but I did not, I definitely did not have a smartphone until toward the end of college. Uh -huh. And I remember, but I remember in high school, like we got, we, that was like when, when cameras, started becoming affordable enough to have like crappy handheld cameras. And that wasn't like when YouTube was taking off mm -hmm. and we would, we would just make dumb movies and stuff. 
And mm -hmm. I, you know, I still do some like short documentaries and videos and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started learning how to edit video. But my brother is a filmmaker and, mm -hmm. and we were very close friends. We're still very close. And I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I kind of vaguely thought, you know, maybe something with like film and movies and mm -hmm. maybe like even documentaries because I was political, mm -hmm. but not, I wasn't necessarily thinking of journalism. That wasn't until college. I see. So, so generally like media, you had a general interest in like media and, yeah. you know, presenting stories through film and or documentaries, um, yeah. but it wasn't really journalism that was on your mind. No, definitely not print journalism. If anything, it would have been like documentaries. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. When it was time to go off to school, what was what what were the choices you were kind of like juggling in terms of like where to go and what to study? It was purely about money because like I said, I mean, again, I'm not going to pretend like I came from like a struggling background, but my parents did not have enough money. Also, I'm one of three kids and, and of similar ages. And they had kids, my parents did not have money to send us to private schools. Mm -hmm. So they told us, they were like, look, uh, you got to go to a public school or you have to take on insane amounts of debt and you should not take on in insane amounts of debt. My mm -hmm. parents were like, don't do that. It's a bad idea because, sure. you know, they could see where it was going. And, yeah. you know, so many of my friends are trapped in, in student loans. So mm -hmm. for me, it was it was purely about money and scholarships. Mm -hmm. And I applied. I mean, I had good grades. But so I applied to different schools and I got into most of the schools I applied to, but it was strictly about scholarships and I didn't want to take student loans. And I also didn't know what I wanted to do. Sure. So I just went to a state school. I went to the University of Kentucky. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. And, and I got a good scholarship there and it was really cheap and I didn't, I don't, I don't have student loans, so oh, okay. I don't regret it, even though I hated it actually. What do you but, mean you hated it? I mean, there was good things about it, but I didn't like it in a lot of ways, but I don't have student loans, so sure, I don't regret you know, it. I'm going to double click and zoom in on why you didn't like it. Why didn't you like it? Because I was very political by the time I got to, to college and I mm -hmm. wanted to be involved in like really involved in activism. Like, and you couldn't find a little coven I, of activists. No, for UK? sure. Like, but, but like, I remember like I was involved in Occupy early on. I wasn't there on day one, but I, I like, I was so political in high school mm -hmm. and then it's, and in college as well. That like in high school, I remember, especially like junior and senior year that like, and then in the, especially in college, like friends of, of mine, like we would like go, we would like take Megabus. Remember Megabus? Yes, of course. I guess, I guess Megabus still exists, but like that was when it was like start, started. Yeah. Like we would like take the, bu like a, the bus to like New York. Mm -hmm. Like when, I remember when Occupy started, mm -hmm. like I wasn't there at the, right at the beginning, but like after it started picking up, like in a, the first few weeks, mm -hmm. we went to, we went to Occupy because nice. like we wanted to be involved. Like we wanted to be part of it. Mm -hmm. And the thing is like the university of Kentucky is in Lexington, which mm -hmm. is like not a very big city. Mm -hmm. And there, I was very, very political and I got arrested several times for activism and like on campus and I was very involved, but it was very, it was a very small activist scene. It was a very small community of, oh, so like I, I wanted to be involved in like the activism in like a big city. Mm, I see. Um, and you didn't quite get that at UK. So you had to definitely just not just chill out for a second until you, until you left. No, but there's, I mean, there's always good things about like any experience. Like it was still good to, to be involved in like a smaller, tighter knit community of activists. And, 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 and then also like, that's when I was introduced to topics that I didn't know anything about mm. because I, 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 my family's from Ohio, but I, I didn't move into Kentucky until halfway through 
high school. Like, mm -hmm. so I, I lived in Kentucky for a few years, halfway through high school and then college, but I, I wasn't from Kentucky mm -hmm. and Kentucky and, and Ohio are neighbors, but they're very different culturally. Like mm. Kentucky's the South and Ohio is not the South. It's the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And especially Cleveland, which is a, a big depressed city, which is where my parents are from. And like, even though Ohio is not a big state, Cleveland is a big city mm -hmm. and Louisville is not as big. And like I, and Lexington is definitely not as big. Mm -hmm. So I, I also got introduced to certain political issues in Kentucky mm -hmm. that I would not have been introduced in other country in other parts of the country, especially environmental issues and especially mining and mountaintop removal. Uh, were those so, the salient activists? Were those the salient activisms that you encountered uh, while you were in school there? Yeah, very much. And I mean, I I still absolutely support the environmental struggle. It's very important, and I'm mm -hmm. not a, I'm not in any way against it. And I have friends who are involved in that, but I just like. My heart was never really in that. I was never super passionate, even though I supported it. I just couldn't like, I wasn't, I don't know, I don't know why it is, but I just wasn't so interested in that issue. I was more interested in like international politics and anti-war stuff and Israel-Palestine solidarity, which I was really into mm -hmm. toward the end of high school. And then by the time I got into college, I was really into. And and then of course, the, the so-called Arab Spring and the war in Libya and all of that. Mm -hmm. That was another reason that I was kind of frustrated because I wanted to be involved in like anti-war stuff, which was more in big cities, you know, Washington, D.C., L.A., San Francisco, Chicago, New York, mm -hmm. not in Lexington, Kentucky. Right. <laughs> so but I was involved in the issues that were local. And sure. there's a lot of environmental work because mm -hmm. the coal industry has so screwed over Kentucky. I mean, right. like Kentucky politics is still very corrupt and still very controlled by by King Cole and like mountaintop removal has devastated a lot of these communities mm -hmm. and there there's a lot of good organizing a lot of good activism so i was involved in that when i was in college the only one that would pay a princely sum to see that photo of him as most likely to be president from high school. <laughs> I cannot be alone in this, right? <laughs> Tune in for part two, where Ben pops off on why socialist is a verb and not an identity. And the expansion of possibilities in the emergence of a multipolar world. Part two is up right now on Patreon. You can head on over to patreon.com slash what's left to do. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash what's left to do. If Patreon isn't your thing and you'd still like to support this work, you can go to what's left to do dot com slash support and send us a donation in the tip jar. <laughs> okay, see you over on Patreon for part two.